had a chef, I had a driver, had a very luxurious life and I threw it all away to come and run pan packaging with no money, you know, living back at home with our parents, but for something that I really believe in. This is The Green Pill, a podcast about the planet and the surprisingly diverse people working to fix it. I'm your host, Chris Newman, a medical doctor and environmentalist from London. And today's guests are Jack and Maliha from Panda Packaging. She was a Bollywood actress with a law degree and he was a flying geologist in the Ivory Coast. And together, they're fighting to rid the world of plastic pollution by creating a better alternative. And at one year old, their company already supplies Richard Branson's Necker Island, Nobu and Bacardi, and has just won the Innovation Award at the prestigious Footprint Awards. And they were a really interesting pair, actually. Hugely, hugely passionate about ending pollution and, and full of plans of how they can do so. I actually got in contact with them quite a few months ago because the initial plan for the podcast was around plastic pollution. That was a lot on my mind at the turn of 2019. But the more time I spent looking into it, the more I realised that actually, although plastic is important and pollution is important, it's part of a much, much bigger problem. And having spent more time around climate change people, I've definitely become aware that plastic is almost like the gateway, uh, or plastic concern is almost like the gateway into wider climate and environmental activism. Please welcome Jack and Maliha. And the first question he asked them was, why do you care so much? So from a very, very young age, um, I spent a lot of time traveling and, you know, a lot of time diving around the oceans all over the world. And similarly, Jack did the same. And, you know, when we met, we were both at uni doing our, you know, prospective degrees. And in our time off, we decided to just, you know, pick up our bags and just go travel and just go see the world because why not? And, um, you know, we went around Africa and Asia and everywhere we went, we just saw the same problem coming up again and again. And that was plastic just absolutely everywhere. You know, you'd be so excited to go on these dives and you'd be in the ocean and you'd be like, yeah, I'm going to see so much sea life. I'm so excited. And it was like, oh, no. It's just a load of plastic. I'm seeing exactly what I would see back home in the supermarket in these amazing oceans. And for us, that was just a massive no-no. And we really wanted to do something to just combat that problem. So Wow. What what did you see? What kind of things did you see in the ocean when you were diving? um, Just everything from um, mainly everyday essentials that we humans use. So when you go into you know, a, you know, a, a coffee shop or whatever, and you pick up like a yogurt pot or your coffee cup or, you know, a plastic utensil, loads of water bottles and loads of plastic bags just absolutely everywhere. Um, we had this one incident where we saw a plastic bag and we mistook it for a jellyfish. And, you know, we were like, I was like, oh my God, it's my first ever jellyfish I'm seeing in the ocean. And, you know, you swim up closer and you're like, oh my God, it's a plastic bag. <laughs> So oh, that is pretty horrible. Yeah, that was that was a big, big eye opening for us um, whilst we were traveling. Well, if you were a turtle, you probably would have eaten it. So thankfully, we actually thankfully we actually when we were in Bali, um, we were walking along this island and unfortunately they do have heaps and heaps of plastic just piled up along along the coast. And there was, you know, as you get a gust of a wind, just just 
blew straight past and all this rubbish just flew into the ocean and there was actually a turtle really weirdly nearby because they do tend to swim in the bays near all the boats and I could just see this turtle swimming towards this plastic bag and I was fully clothed I was not in swimwear or anything and I was like no this is not happening I ran in the water like an absolute nutcase <laughs> fully clothed and I took this bag away and I was like not today turtle you're not eating this <laughs> not on my watch <laughs> Wow, that's yeah. That's a superhero, superhero status. Oh, there. Some say so. <laughs> and Jack, how about you? Um, so I, I was there for all of these adventures too, but I I went to work in the Ivory Coast for a bit. Mm-hmm. I worked for a airborne mapping company, so I would I'd get a very very unique perspective where you fly over all the problems as opposed to seeing them from mm-hmm. such a low down sort of human level. And you could see not not just plastic pollution, but the actual oil slicks. So when they drill wells, when the initial wells are drilled, they let the oil leak for a bit, partly due to bad equipment and like local kind of artisanal well drilling by by smaller kind of groups of villagers. And you you fly over the mangroves and you get that um, shimmer that you get and you can just see it going for kilometers and kilometers just everywhere. Uh, Something you, you, you detach from when you use a product maybe in the UK, but there's a lot that goes on behind that as a very yeah. long sort of trail of destruction, not just the pollution you see in the ocean yeah. as well. And I thought, if, if you see something like that, you're, you're sort of obliged morally, I think, to try and do something, not just be a, a passive observer yeah. and think it's not my backyard, it's not my problem. Yeah, it's, it's everyone's backyard, really. <laughs> we, we don't realize it, but you know, even the smallest of actions that we take on a daily basis really do have an impact on a much larger scale. Yeah. Um, and you know, whilst Jack was in the Ivory Coast, I was actually in India doing Bollywood, which you mentioned. And you know, your sort of usual routine you'd get up, you'd go for a morning run, and again, plastic, 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 just everywhere you look. And you know, for that, it, you know, we used to have this like sort of a weird competition where we would like send each other pictures of <laughs> who's seen the most plastic today in you know India and Africa and you know after a couple of months we were just like this is so wrong we've really got to do something to to actually change this and you know we decided to come back and we just decided to just really jump into it and start panda packaging with absolutely no money no experience but you know we we were like we're going to solve this really really big problem we don't know how but we're going to solve it and here we are trying to solve this problem so this is like the business the business version of running to save the turtle right it is yeah (laughs) dive in and see what happens hopefully slightly more scalable (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah, so what was what was kind of the first, because um, you're from a theatre background, yeah, and Jack, you're from a geology background, so how did you go from those degrees and those jobs into business? I guess, I guess it was just all of um, the plastic that we saw, and you know, like we say, we really, really, like as cliche as it may sound, we genuinely do really love the environment, and you know, for me, the oceans are a really special place where mm. I've been in them since I was really, really young. I cannot imagine a future without them, and the way we as a society, collectively, worldwide live, we are not going to have a future mm. uh, with the... with. We are not going to have a future and we're certainly not going to have any oceans that are capable of people going into. And for me, that was just very much, I 
don't want that as a future and instead of passively sitting by and just thinking oh it's not my problem you know I really care but I'll let somebody else handle it for me it was like no I'd rather be the one that takes a step takes action and handles this problem Um, you know I think things like geology and um, law which is what I actually did at uni and you know acting they will always be there but our planet will not always be there and if there aren't more people you know taking action to really solve this problem then we're going to you know not have a planet for future generations yeah diving won't be so much fun it will not in 50 years time right? <laughs> it will not <laughs> so but how about the actual the bamboo idea because obviously there's lots of things that you could do faced so with the, tack- the problem of plastic how that came about was um so i think Obviously, the the term plastic pollution is quite general, it's quite broad, and it is a very, very big problem. And it can get very overwhelming, you know, thinking, how am I going to solve this problem? And for us, it was, okay, so what did we see most of when we were in the ocean? And that was the everyday things that we do use. And for us, it was, okay, amazing. So this is the problem that we've seen. What can we do to combat this? Can we create, you know, these exact same items from a natural material? And whilst we were actually traveling in Bali, so they make houses out of bamboo, um, so it's the materials used for scaffolding, which in my mind was, okay, that, that means it's surely it's really sturdy. You can definitely do more with this. And they sort of throw away bits of bamboo that they're not using. And, you know, me being me, when I'm traveling, I have no concept of health and safety. Everything is fine <laughs> when you're traveling. I sort of picked up this, you know, um, piece of bamboo that had just been thrown away. And I picked it up and I looked at it. And, you know, I said to the guys, could you, could you, put this in your mouth you know can you use it and they looked at me like yeah why not and I put it in my mouth as you do like with a straw he looks at me like oh my god you're crazy and I was like this is so cool why don't we you know take these materials and turn them into the everyday plastics that we use to combat this problem and you know from there we got the idea and we started working on it um, and just started creating you know of various range of products um you did, did our research obviously and decided to go with bamboo not only because it was something I saw and I put it in my mouth straight away but it is also one of the most sustainable plants so the bamboo that we use it grows at four centimeters an hour um so yeah so it's a pretty pretty cool statistic and for me it was like I definitely want to work with this material yeah I have heard that it's one of the um, most um, car- it kind of sucks the most carbon out uh, in, in terms of plants that I read about. Mm. Um, so definitely, it's kind of killing two birds with one stone, almost like you're taking the carbon out of the atmosphere, but also trying to reduce the the plastic that gets into the ocean. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it, it was how how people in Indonesia did traditionally eat things but not necessarily bamboo but banana leaves so so a lot of this problem is so so present in indonesia because packaging kind of pre-oil industry and pre uh, big corporate products arriving packaging was a banana leaf and when you were finished with the item you would drop it on the floor yeah. or throw it into the ocean because you knew it would decompose but but the the mindset hasn't changed at the same speed that plastic packaging has arrived at. So it's going back to maybe older, better solutions, but producing them in a scalable way, not not in a kind of uh, mum and pop shop kind of uh, approach. That's the plan. Because it it does work. It's it's been 
working for hundreds of thousands of years before yeah. before we came up with this but it, it just requires a bit of adaption to the to the 21st century i think yeah we're really big on um reusable so everything that we create is reusable we're not so keen on recycling just because i feel yeah we believe that things are being recycled but the reality is they're not they do get shipped over to asia and you know they're not able to cope with the amount that we do send over so it is blowing away into the ocean so for us it's you know why not create these products from reusable materials that if they do you know get thrown away here and there they aren't going to damage our environment so that's really important for us and and the carbon intensivity of uh, the emissions associated with how you how you interact with the products or if if you're buying a product it comes from asia it's shipped to the uk in plastic packaging Mm. it then has to go through a selection of uh, collections sorting some sort of processing then it goes back in a container back to asia to be recycled hopefully yeah that's a that's a daft procedure or you're you're adding in a whole round trip where you could just go one way potentially and and not use everything once everything because many of the items we use that they are perfectly reusable again we just throw them away because we're taught that it's convenient and it seems logical but the, the actual structural integrity of the products is, is really yeah. just as good as, as when yeah. you got it i think a lot of it is also the, the beauty factor so if something is beautiful and you, you you treasure it and you want to use it again whereas a plastic straw to be honest like in a plastic bottle they're 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 quite ugly mm. and so people don't necessarily want to keep them at home completely so what happened next so you 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 picked up the straw off from the mud and started <laughs> using it uh, and how did you get from there to to the business that you have now? So when we sort of left our jobs and, you know, we decided we're going to make Panda Packaging happen, we started with um, a Kickstarter project to see if <laughs> the, the general public will care about this and if it's something that people are interested in. And so, you know, you know I slaved away by my desk and made, you know, like a a short 10 minute video um, of all our travels that we did and sort of showing a beautiful planet, then destroying the planet. Then, you know, us as we're here to save the planet with these really cool products. And it got successfully funded, which was super, super cool. And um, at that rate, at that point, operational wise, it was very much products being sent out from my mum's living room and, you know, homemade little notes and all of that. But um, yeah, it, that, that was sort of our first journey into Panda. And then we thought, how do we scale this? How do we make this uh, reach people across the world, not just these, you know, a thousand people who have pledged on Kickstarter? How do we reach a billion people? How do we reach seven billion people? Um, And then we actually found Bethnal Green Ventures where we applied and, you know, we were successful in our application and, you know, they, they invested in us. And since then, we've been able to scale operationally and actually have a much larger impact. Um, but saying that Richard Branson's Necker Island was actually one of our first clients back in the early Kickstarter days before we were, you know, running properly, you could say. Um, so it was good to see that, you know, actually really important you know people who are seen as really important and influential also do want to back this idea yeah i mean it's not a bad first or one of the first few clients to have is it no it's pretty pretty good yeah. <laughs> so so at, at that point when we were doing our kickstarter the kind of deal in my head was if i if, if we could get the kickstarter to work i would i would quit my job because i figured i'd have about two months on the money mm. we raised from that to uh be able to figure out how this was going to kind of support 
us forever yeah. <laughs> so we uh when it got funded we quit and yeah we came straight here and, and Bethnal Green Ventures sort of funds early stage tech for good companies. So companies that have a, a social impact and they give you a, a little bit of money to kind of get you started and a lot of mentoring and advice on on how to mm. start a small business with a sort of social impact. Yeah. That, that was a really, a really big uh, help. But we've always been really open. We've always asked loads of people for advice. Like we're mm. very... Uh, we're very open to change and help. Mm. Um, I think something we've learned is you've you've got to be willing to accept that you you might be doing something really good, but somebody may have a better way of doing this. Mm. So yeah. we're super open to constantly changing and innovating on a daily basis. We actually do question ourselves daily. Um, you know, are we doing the best we can? Can we do this better? And mm. if so, what can we do? We do have that daily self-reflection because I think it's it can become really easy to get very set in your ways thinking, you know, I've got these awesome clients, you know, Richard Branson loves me, nobody loves me, I know what I'm doing, I don't want anyone's help, but that's a, that's a very dangerous mindset that you can yeah. fall into and we do keep each other on check you know yeah. on a daily basis <laughs> I, I don't know and I've changed my mind are two phrases I'm quite I'm quite keen on <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you should be though because you don't know because you haven't achieved your goal yet so be really open to other people's advice and actually listen to their advice don't just get advice and think oh I know it already is listen and take the advice and I very much recommend that. So you mentioned earlier on about scalability and also you mentioned you've been taking a lot of advice. Um, I wondered what kinds of uh, what kind of advice or what are your plans about scaling it while keeping whilst also keeping the the kind of the heart of the business and the the kind of planet saving yeah. ideals. So the I think I think I think to scale something well you you in, in this age you really have to use technology. Uh, I think to an extent, all businesses that scale become software businesses to, mm -hmm. to a reasonable degree. And we, we kind of looked at what, what do businesses actually want from products? And I, I guess they want things like they want to be able to improve their brand image and the way they look as a company. They want to gain more customers. They want to be sustainable. But every business deep down wants to be sustainable. They just don't want to pay more to be sustainable. Yeah. So if you can... And then something else I think is important with these kind of businesses is they, they really need um, reliability. Like they don't want to say we're going to use this company for an event with 10,000 people coming and yeah. the business lets them down at the last minute and doesn't provide what they need. So yeah. they're not particularly complex things to get right. It's just getting all of them right. You, you can't have half the puzzle. Yeah. So we've we've looked into how we brand the products through technology and make that a really easy process to do so we allow you to model uh, your branding on the product so for example one of the companies we've been doing this a lot with is taylor street baristas it's a, it's a coffee great coffee company locally and they put their logos onto the products online mm -hmm. and they then just press order and it arrives to you in a couple of days so you you it really makes it easy for you to be sustainable mm -hmm. uh, we're also building production hardware to get the cost down of the products so a lot of things currently are handmade and that, that's good to a to an extent but you're not going to be able to so as an example tetra pack probably the biggest uh, packaging supplier in the world they ship 190 billion units a year you're not going to mm. do that handmade <laughs> or have any huge yeah. impact so you've really got to think how can i 
build technology to make this scalable. So we're building a machine that will help produce our products. And we're also working a lot in the area of smart packaging. So how do you add more value? So if you, I think this is very exciting, uh, especially with the rise of food delivery companies. So if you you receive uh, the packaging, and they will often accept the packaging back that they've yeah. given you. For example, uh, Abel and Cole and Farm Drop are great at this. And they take the packaging that you receive with the products in it back when they come to give you your next delivery. And I think that will be a really big trend we see growing. And that allows a lot of opportunity for investing more money in the packaging to start off with. Mm. So for example, imagine, uh, let's say, let's say a coffee. And imagine the, the coffee, the, the packaging it comes in was able to tell you more about that coffee. Mm-hmm. So it would be able to tell you maybe about the grower, about his lifestyle, about the farm he operates on. And when you know that uh, as a sort of moral, decent human, you're, you're probably going to feel that if I if I know that story, I, I want to support a product where it's a good story and mm. a good mission. And yeah. I think people don't care about things they don't know it's quite easy to be sort of uh, selectively blind to things but when you know your your sort of purchasing allegiances will go towards the right thing it's just getting people to know what, what yeah. goes on so for instance with panned packaging you know the whole company's mission is very closely aligned to the ocean mm. and i feel when people purchase our products they don't necessarily know that mm. so for us it would be you know it'd be really cool if you know through this smart packaging that we're developing people could actually come on our journey with us and understand Mm. why we started panda you know what the bigger purpose is and that you know every time you purchase one of these products you're actually saving x amount of plastic from entering the oceans Mm. and you know regarding the sort of how will we become this you know scalable company whilst retaining the environmental feel Mm. there will be an element where um there will be a range of products that are still handmade because for me it's very important to still work with that local community and give back to them and help them out um, as that's you know something we, we really pride ourselves here at Panda Packaging that we're not just a company who has uh, you know saw these amazing products created them and we're going to forget sort of where the where it started and where the roots were you know we do want re- re- we do want to retain that relationship with those local communities and give back to them as our way of saying you know thank you for showing us your amazing island mm. and showing us what we can do with these with this with these amazing materials yeah so that's very very much and the place you're working right now i believe is is has been bali it's certainly bali. to now yeah. And I remember you telling me that um, you also, that the place that you went to also had a, a coconut uh, oil factory or something like that. So this is actually a really funny story. We went to Bali and the hotel that we were meant to be staying in, they cancelled our reservation a day before we were supposed to check in, which obviously isn't great, but they did move us over to another hotel. And, you know, as their way of apologising, they gave us a local tour guide for the day. And, you know, he was really great, took us to all the amazing temples and... You know, it was really fantastic. And we were telling him about this idea that we've come up with because we were talking about what what are his opinions on all mm. the plastic that he sees and how he feels growing up on an island that does have this problem mainly coming from the Western world. And, you know, he actually said, you know, obviously it's a pain and he loves 
the idea that we've got. And so his father actually was the owner of a coconut farm. Um, and his coconut farm was used, um, you know, for the oil that we get. So the coconut oil and the coconut meat that you put into your smoothies. Mm. But his shells weren't being used for anything. And, you know, we went and visited him and I said to him, you know, could you could you eat out of these? What could you do with these? And he was like, yes, me and my family, we just, you know, eat with the shells and we just, you know, throw away whatever we don't need. And, you know, for me, I thought, wow, what what a shame that mm. these this amazing material is just being thrown as waste. So at that point, you know, we spent about five days seeing him daily and working with him and experimenting what we could do with the shell. And the obvious is the coconut bowl. Um, and then, you know, we've gone on to do other things like a range of cutlery, um, coconut sort of dish scrubs and lots of other things. So it was really, really, really exciting. It was. Yeah, it's, it's great that obviously we're trying to reduce waste. And so if you're having a product that is taking something that was a waste product and yeah. trying to get into something that yeah, it's can all, be reused. Yeah, it's always important looking at, you know, a circular economy. What can you use um, that is already being used and is being thrown as waste. What can you do with that waste material? Um, which is where we started with Panda as well. You mentioned a little bit earlier on about this, the issue with the stuff that you see in the oceans and obviously bamboo straws and you, you, can, you can see how that would work, especially if they're reused in, in bars. Um, maybe this is a difficult question, but you know the, the, the idea of bottles and, and reusing them and taking them back to someone... Um, do you see any role, do you see your business going in that direction in kind of the reusable bottles kind of front? So so I think that can work. So I, I think a lot of it is around the, the economics of it, primarily, or, or traditionally people did return bottles. I used to be, uh, used to get, a, I'm not sure how many years back now, but you used to return the bottles and get a small amount of money in, in return. So it does work, it's just... Uh, making sure your products can be at a price point where or the value of the packaging is sufficiently valuable that it there is some economic incentive to do it but yeah we could definitely create the products to do it it's just getting the price point to a scale where that would work it's all about educating people as well and changing their mindset and perspective mm. on products so you know in the last year or so we've seen you know a huge shift in people's mentalities about plastic straws now it'd be great if we could get that across all plastic items um and you know we believe it's much harder to convince individual consumers to you know carry around these reusable products but um you know it's if you get if you get you know the bigger brands and the hospitality you know restaurants and hotels Mm. to practice these you know practices then consumers are much more likely to see it as the normal because currently the normal is to use something and throw it away but at panda we're trying to challenge that and change people's mindsets and make them understand that is not normal what is normal is actually reusing these perfectly good products that you have and not throwing them away and you know it's really good to see you know big names such as you know virgin thomas cook nobu all adapting to this very very easily because it makes sort of makes other people believe you know well if they can do it then i can certainly do it and also we're very we're all social beings right and we what we see lots of we assume is normal and we don't want to you know we're all very worried about how we're perceived so if you start to see more and more and more and more people using these kind of products and not throwing stuff away so much then it's going to become the normal at some point yeah supermarkets are such a good example of that so sort of over the last year a couple initially made pledges to reduce plastic 
And within sort of six months, every supermarket had some sort of uh, plastic mandate. Yeah. Mandate, yeah. And yeah. When one jumps on, you you look out of touch and out of date if, mm. if you're not part of it. We're just trying to get that next wave of, mm. as opposed to broad commitments, actual physical implementations mm. now that, yeah. that are visible, not not statements and yeah. projections for 2024. Just going back to your point before about, about the idea of uh, personal, like branding something personally, I was just thinking um, we, we don't really identify with the products that we use, but if you have something that is clearly yours because there's something branded on it that is very personal to you, people are probably going to use it a lot more. Do you see that kind of personalized things helping this battle to re to in increase reusability oh definitely i'll buy anything if i can get my name on it literally <laughs> <laughs> and i think a lot of other people you know probably have that same feeling um like a lot of our products when they do go out to consumers they all say yes please put my name on it and then you know you've got your element of pride like yeah this is my straw you know it's got my name on it and i think mm. people really enjoy that because you're personalizing your products and you're sort of you're giving them a personality almost and mm. you know it's pretty cool it's pretty on trend so yeah I, I i agree completely with that as well but i also think from a from a big brand point of view for example if you if you proposed a product to coca-cola where they couldn't put their branding on it it would just be brown fizzy liquid yeah it, it, it's, it's not a lot of a million millions and millions of dollars of their money will go towards creating maybe even billions i'm not sure mm. but a huge amount of their money will have been invested in that brand and if the products they use cannot be branded it's as good as useless to them or that they're never yeah. going to accept do you think your business will eventually kind of move into that kind of territory because i i imagine that kind of huge mass production of plastic um plastic packaged drinks and things in these huge factories seems to be very different to the way that your business is going do you see that it will kind of um that what you're doing can move into the kind of mass production of things or is it always going to be more individualized and personal uh no it's definitely moving towards you know you know the the end goal is is to replace plastic forever so currently it's very much what we could start with given the very little money that we had and it was very much it was very much this idea and proving to people that you know there is a demand people are interested and with no experience we can go out and we can solve this problem and as we grow and as we scale we're definitely looking at ways to move more into the you know the mass product and the mass market and gain those clients as well yeah. Um, a little bit far far off it at the moment, as there's just two of us. <laughs> of course, but um, definitely yeah. in the future, it's it's what we're really aiming towards. Yeah, well, at the moment we're looking to by the end of the year be producing at close to the million units a year range. Okay, brilliant. From our sort of V1 machinery, but after that, we we obviously it takes time. Like it's taken an awfully long time. It's taken generations for companies like Tetra Pak to get to where they are. Yeah. But definitely that's, that's yeah, the plan is very much to re remove all plastic, single-use plastic waste. Yeah. So I think if you're going to have a meaningful impact, you've really got to focus on everything. Yeah, yeah. in under 11 months, we have um, shipped 80,000 of our handmade 
products. And that's actually prevented 840,000 pieces of single-use plastic items from entering the oceans. Wow, that's some good stats there. Yeah, pretty proud of those. Yeah. <laughs> and we can, we, it's really good because we can actually, I'm very big on actually measuring impact precisely. So mm. not just pushing out sort of broad generic figures, yeah. uh, but a sort of selectively rounded. So we can measure how many drinks the establishment that we've sold the product has sold to between their first order and their second order. And if they're not using any other products that aren't ours, mm. we can to almost to the drink be accurate on our impact. That's great because I think people see so many statistics and figures and numbers and percentages that they can get a bit tired mm. of seeing them. And I think everyone's got this sense that sometimes figures can be manipulated. Mm. But the fact that you've got something that's very specific with a specific place and it, you know you can you can tell it as part of a story mm. as well, and that's, that's really powerful. A little on that. Um, one of uh, the person who introduced us, David Jackson, uh, he, he's a mentor, obviously, to us. And he also mentors another company called Halo Coffee. Mm-hmm. They did an absolutely brilliant advertising campaign around uh, the asterisks on mm-hmm. things. Yeah. So you see like free range asterisks and yeah. then there's pages and pages of terms and conditions. And their, yeah, a lot yeah. of their, their work was around not having an asterisk and actually doing in simple words what they say we're doing and I definitely yeah. believe in that I think that's a brilliant uh, way to push products yeah. towards consumers and actually make a difference not just yeah. market things to make a difference what of consumers um, have you had much contact with people's with, with consumers what, what, what kinds of things have they said to you oh yeah definitely we've done a few pop-ups around London um, and we actually had people that were following our brand on Instagram come down just to actually meet us and, you know, feel our, try our products in person and, you know, tell us we love the mission that you're on and we think it's so cool and, you know, we love your products based just on your mission. We really want to support you. And we were like, that's amazing. And they do actually enjoy our products as well, which is very important. Our products actually do what they say they do. They are reusable. So um, my little straw that I picked out of the mud all those years ago, I still have it and I still (laughs) use it. Like it still exists. Um, and yeah, and you know, consumers, um, they're always sending in, you know, photographs of their products, telling us how long they last, mm. which is really good as well, because it adds to our reusage data course, and we yeah. can understand how well the products actually work. That was a question I had, sort of how, how long do these, um, and obviously people's houses are made out of bamboo, so they must be pretty structurally sound. Very, but yes. do you have any, how long do these bamboo and coconut products So last? on average, they will last you up to about a thousand uses. And um, that's actually for commercial use in hospitality um, Mm. places like hotels and restaurants. And as an individual consumer, your product, you know, one coconut bowl can last you up to about four to five years. Um, And I literally use mine for everything. I'll have my cereal in it. I'll then have like my soup in it. I'll have salad (laughs) in it, pasta in it, everything, you name it. And I've still got all of my products um, that I started with two yeah. years ago. So. so it's obviously very deeply personal to you. It is, yes. Don't take that bowl away. <laughs> <laughs> I get so upset. Uh, this one time we were out in a cafe 
and the owners they really liked the, they really liked um our straws because obviously I do take mine everywhere and um they actually asked do you mind if we take your straw for a sample and he was like yeah take it and I was like I'm really sorry I can't give you my straw but I will come <laughs> I in tomorrow and I will give you I will give you a different straw but this one is mine <laughs> and they were like okay like we, we appreciate the love for your products <laughs> I think that also goes to show like the, the level of kind of love and care that the co- like a, a conscious conscious consumer would have is way higher than most of the kind of um you know buy it and throw it kind of consumerism because i i know some people who who run sort of bulk stores and they have client customers coming from all the way like an hour just to just to come and shop there because they care so yeah. much about that brand yeah that that's that's amazing and there's definitely um such a change a change that's come about recently and people are really you know pushing those sort of brands forward and it's just really amazing yeah i think people do fundamentally care like pe- people are generally pretty awesome people and are yeah. amazing but things are just hidden for them so that yeah. they don't understand the processes i, I yeah. this is this is purely an opinion but I think many of the products people buy, they probably wouldn't buy if they understood yeah. what what goes into them. And it's not just food; it's a range of a huge range of products. If you could really see that whole process, you would consume much more consciously. Yeah. Your it gets lost though behind yeah. each stage is separated. So when it arrives to you, it's yeah. just a nice product. But yeah. The, the impact that has is, is really important. I yeah, think definitely. Something. Just palm oil is a really good example. Ever since that Iceland advert came out, mm. so many people actually care about palm oil and they won't buy products with palm oil in it. Mm. Um, I've always been very, you know, into environmentally aware issues. So I've not consumed palm oil for a number of years because I know where it's come from. So mm. yes, that means I can't have Nutella, which is a, <laughs> which is a really big give, give, give up. But, um, you know, because I know where one of the ingredients comes from for me i i just yeah. don't buy it so you know relating back to what you said people definitely care they just don't know a lot of the time yeah. i think it is it is difficult the palm oil thing i did read something probably about four or five months ago i think it's it's often it's not the the thing itself it's how it's that thing is, is made grown. yeah and apparently palm oil if it was grown properly would actually be a really really great crop yeah. to use to yeah. produce oil but it's often not very well regulated and it involves like smashing down loads of forests and so it's again it's a really big problem in indonesia which is where we spent a lot of time and what they tend to do is they um, you know larger companies tend to pay local people a lot of money to just go and burn down the forests and yeah, it's 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 crazy because think about all the animals that inhabit those forests and, you know, just the way it's grown. And when we were flying over Indonesia and we were going to Singapore, we actually saw, um, I, I actually saw, you know, I saw these forests and I was like, wow, those forests are so regulated. How do they all look the same? It's amazing. <laughs> and he was like, there's unfortunately palm oil um, plantations that are growing. And it's yeah. just crazy because you can just see, you know, the, how much deforestation it has caused and yeah. it's just it's just really sad so i have some uh, some questions that i brought with me to ask you do you have anything else that you want to say before we move on to the rapid fire questions any other comments i, th- I think i think we are getting there as a as a, as a sort of a society but just we need to speed that up yeah 
hugely. I, I think I think there's a lot of good intentions, but it just needs to be yeah. n- not not giving huge dates in the future where things will happen. I think y- impact can be done now. It's mm. just do you care enough to do yeah. it? I think yeah. that that's very important to protect where we live as yeah. as people. Yeah, as we we've only got one planet currently. <laughs> I I do appreciate to some degree the government the challenges of governing a country where they have to take so many things into account. Um, because there are a lot of things changing, like lots of things have been banned from, like you say, twenty twenty five, and they're obviously trying to protect the business owners and the people who work for those businesses in trying so that they can gradually move into other things but exactly as the the kids are saying on the streets at, at the climate marches you know you need to do it faster and um you might have to break some eggs to do that and some people are going to get annoyed but you, you haven't really got an option mm-hmm. and a lot of it is government-led or if if the for it just, just it's a hypothetical scenario i know but if if there was enough demand and it was such an important feature parties would pay, make it a huge part of their mandate if people yeah. were going to vote that party in based upon that but until there's enough interest it's not a hugely focused on topic or well, elections aren't won or lost on single-use plastics yet not yet <laughs> wait <laughs> so if you could go back in time what would you say to your 18-year-old self? I, at 18, I guess I didn't really know how big of an issue it was. You know, I think our 18-year-old selves were spent hiding away in Mayfair clubs somewhere, <laughs> you know, after university <laughs> lectures, which is where we actually met. Um, so I, I would, I don't know, what would you say to your 18-year-old self? I I would have liked to have started earlier, if, if I could okay. have. I think... At 18, it, it would be very hard to get people to take you seriously mm-hmm. with what we're doing. But I, I would have liked to have tried to start earlier, as, as you said, and be more aware earlier. You okay. kind of have to grow into your values a little bit, I think, yeah. and find out wh- where you sit as a person. And that takes a little while sometimes. Then I like it, that phrase. Then again, our, our first holiday we ever took together was when we were 19, which is when we saw the problem together. Yeah. So yeah. not not far off from 18. <laughs> Tell me a person or a thing that's influenced you a great deal in how you currently feel about this issue. You go uh, So I think a lot of they're, they're relatively generic people in this world of like uh, entrepreneurship and technology, but I, I think people like... Uh, especially Elon Musk, Casey Neistat. Um, His idols. My idols, oh, yeah. yes. And lo- loads of other more obscure kind of venture capitalists uh, who really do and act. Uh, I'm a big believer in kind of learning fast, failing quickly and acting now. I think Astro Teller, he runs Google X, so they do a lot of the... Uh, really innovative climate-based projects. I think he's fantastic or absolutely uh, sort of ideas that don't seem possible. He he will nurture and encourage and bring to the fore. And I think the more people can do that, the better. The more outlandish ideas that might actually change the world are encouraged and not looked at as crazy people. Would That would be, that would be a beneficial thing to society uh, i 
personally was inspired by um, two people in particular. One is um, a lady called Sylvia Earle. So she's a marine biologist. um, And I think from the age of 18, she has literally dedicated her life to raising awareness about the, the health of the oceans. And she does a lot of talks at the UN and she's a very big name in that sort of environmental sector. And she has literally dedicated her entire life to this to this cause which is you know very she's in her 60s now so it's you know a very big commitment Mm. and she was one of the first people that she was actually one of the first female divers ever and she actually opened up my eyes to how much the oceans have changed just in her Mm. lifetime and I for me I was like I I want to be that inspiring person that you know at that age inspiring people to you know care and change the way they live daily Mm. to protect this beautiful ecosystem and a second one for me was actually Leonardo DiCaprio because you know by well profession he's an actor he's you know most people would say well what does he know about climate change or anything in that sector and for me it's really interesting how he sort of moved away from movies to he spent a year traveling the world and um, understanding climate change which is a very long time and you know he used his his power which is media film and created a film um, which got loads of people interested in climate change who otherwise wouldn't have known anything and I think he's a really good example of just because you've been trained in life to do one thing doesn't mean you have Mm. to do that for the rest of your life you can very easily go on to do other things if you really care about that yeah so for me he was a really big you know inspirational person and he's a good-looking fellow as well. Oh, yeah, but we won't go into that. <laughs> Can I just that? point out that the hair, <laughs> Jack's hair, is a little bit Leo Di- leonardo Do you know, we went to Morocco and people like, were shouting at him, Leonardo DiCaprio, come here, come here. <laughs> but you were like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's got, you need to get a beard now, I think. I'm never, I'm never sure about the beard. It does <laughs> a little bit patchy at the stage. Oh. <laughs> Can I just ask you a bit more? Because you mentioned Casey. And I have a very good friend who's a massive fan of Casey. What actually happened? There was a story around you guys contacting Casey. Oh, yeah. So we, I've I've always liked his kind of uh, sort of doing attitude. And I thought, and he does have an interest in in environmental things. So we we sent him out uh, our products to the infamous mail time <laughs> and we it's actually on our on our instagram i can't remember exactly which vlog it is but it was his last ever mail time and uh he opened up our products and he he, he identified immediately of what it was and he'd he'd seen that video that, that's quite popular around the turtle of the straw in its nose oh yeah yeah so i'm, I'm hoping that we, we sent him for enough products to um be used in in 368 downstairs so the idea is for the throughput of people who see them and use them will hopefully register and connect with oh this is this is something that i could maybe tell my audience about and exponentially increase the awareness of the idea he's quite a a great stakeholder of people's uh beliefs and what they yeah we we saw one of his vlogs before mail time and he was actually holding the pan packaging box and he was shaking it <laughs> and i tweeted him and i was like you've gotta open that parcel you've gotta do it and he opened it the next mail time we were oh, like, god. yes <laughs> god that's awesome how are you trying to live more sustainably in your day-to-day life so i use every single panda product that we have made 
So I carry my uh, my bamboo water bottle. I carry this one with me everywhere. And it's great because you can put hot liquids in here, like your coffee, your tea, and your water in here. So I use this. I use our coconut bulbs for lunchtime. I take our bamboo lunch boxes with me everywhere. So that's what I great. that's what that's I what do. you preach. Yeah, I genuinely do. I love mine. And, and they're so versatile. Like you literally just rinse them and because they are naturally antibacterial, you don't need to go through that whole long malarkey of soap and scrub. I mean, you can if you want, but you know, I live a very, you know, fast lifestyle. So for me, it's great to just have something that I can literally just rinse, done, put it in my bag and I'm good to go with my next, with my next meal, really. Yeah, I, I'm quite big on, and this is inherited through you, uh, sort of sustainable food when possible, mm-hmm. not sort of uh, low quality, bad welfare food. Mm. I, I'm quite big on that. And I do cycle quite a lot. I'm not sure if that's more. Yeah. Important. Yeah, we, we eat mainly uh all organic local produce um favorite supermarket of mine abel and cole okay yeah. because yeah. i do love how everything is seasonal you're not getting a mango if it's not in season like sorry but it's you know it's better for the environment and they deli- they do deliver everything without any plastic comes in cardboard boxes and they take that away from you as well every week so that yeah so mainly food and the products we use is very sustainable <laughs> And are there any particular types of um, collaborations with either businesses or different media places that you want that you're looking to do? Oh, we're, we're always looking for amazing companies to work with, mm-hmm. so people who who care about what we care about. It's always great to mm. to be able to kind of expand our reach quite organically. So people finding us, not just always having to reach out to people. So yeah. any of you out there who are in the world of sort of hospitality, food and beverage, that's always great to hear from you also always looking to tell our story um exactly (laughs) uh yeah because i think it's important for people to understand why you're doing what you do and um yeah yeah, we think we have a pretty cool story to tell so anybody out there in film or or podcasting or anything along that lines we're always very up for having a chat and getting involved and maybe people can also find you on the bollywood scene no because we never spoke about that To be continued. <laughs> to be continued, right? <laughs> no, I was only out there. Um, it, it was very much the beginning. Um, I was out there for a couple of months and I did actually have um, a lead in a film that I actually turned down to come back and run Panda Packaging. Wow. Yes. I was actually living in a hotel. I had a chef. I had a driver. had a very luxurious life and I threw it all away to come and run pan packaging with no money, you know, living back at home with our parents, but for something that I really believe in. Maybe you can go back to Bollywood in 20 years time. Oh, a, well, I mean, a, as an eco. Oh, I mean, Steven Spielberg, Hollywood, it's, I'm coming for you. <laughs> Thanks for listening today. If you want to hear more about today's guests, check out the show notes at thegreenpill.org. And tune in next time for Matt Winning, UCL climate scientist and stand-up comedian on the comedy circuit. The Green Pill is edited by Kazra Ferrugia, produced by James Bishop and is part of the One Fine Play podcast network. You can find me on Dr. Chris Newman on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, see ya.